Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're very pleased to be once again joined by friend of the show, Carl from Research First, who is, of course, a behavioural researcher and multi-author. I was going to say multi-award winning author, but I didn't know whether that was true, Carl. Is it true? Oh, when's that stopped us before, Ed? Oh, very good. No, that's not true. Oh, okay. <laughs> Keep that bit in, David. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about what does money do to our brains? So, Carl, let me ask you this. What does money do to our brains? Uh, that's a great question, Ed. So one of the things about being a social scientist is, is we start from an assumption that while people can be rational, mostly they're not, right? And this starts from the recognition that you've got essentially effectively multiple brains in your head and multiple ways of processing information. All that's relevant because when we think about thinking in that kind of deliberative sense, it's something that people do about as little as possible. And what that means is that when people think about money, they're actually thinking with what are called heuristics, these sort of rules of thumb, these shortcuts that, that essentially rule your brain. And they're things like scarcity and they're things like temporal discounting, discounting the future. And there are all of these things that come into play that mean that people's brains really aren't equipped to deal with money. Mm. How do you overcome that then? Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? Because if you think about it, you know, the reason that your brain's not very good with money is because it didn't evolve to be good with money. Right. You know, your brain evolved to keep you alive. And yes, that's about managing money in 2021, but, you know, four, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, had nothing to do with money effectively. And so, you know, there's no mechanism in evolution that can essentially help your brain keep up with economics and stuff like that. A really good lesson is if you want to be good at anything is to externalize it, right? Not rely on your willpower, not rely on automaticity, not rely on learning. Because those things will work and they'll work well, but they won't work when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're stressed, or when you're in a market like this one where people are pressuring you to make decisions quickly. Mm. So, Carl, let me ask you this. When you're talking about discounting the future and that people tend to discount the future, I'll give you an example of my mind and you can tell me whether I'm normal or not. Let's <laughs> whether try whether or not you should be locked up. <laughs> So whenever we're buying a property, you could do a 10-year or a 15-year forecast and say, okay, that property is going to go up by 5% a year for the next 15 years. And all of a sudden, a property that's worth a million dollars today is all of a sudden going to be worth $2.2 million in 15 years' time. And I always find that a bit hard to get your head around. And I know a lot of property investors are exactly the same. They say, I have no idea how this property is going to be worth $2.2 million. But then I start to think, well, I probably can't forecast that far ahead. But, you know, could it be worth an extra 100 k in a couple of years? And then I think, oh, yeah, OK, I could see that. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about when people discount the future or can't see what it's going to be? Is that a good example in property or is that a bad example? Well, that, that might be a good example in property. But usually discounting the future is used to explain why people don't save for their retirement, right? Yes. Because, you know, 100 bucks today is worth a lot more to your, you know, your primitive brain than... 10,000 bucks in 25 years. Yeah. And that's why, you know, using mechanisms to help people understand taking automatic pay rises going, yes. here we save all of yes. that stuff, right? Employer contributions are simply because if we leave it up to you to save, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want Absolutely. to save. Absolutely. And, you know, think about the world you live in, right? There's a world of, you know, right outside the door of the studio, there's a world of amazing things to buy with yeah. all that money that I could save. And and also, don't forget that the guy that's going to retire is a stranger to me, like that, yes. that sucker in 25 years. Why would I give him my hard-earned money? And a men and women wired differently for that? Well, a lot of this is really about kind of, you know, evolution, 
And so there are some, there's some social learning that is different. I don't think it's genetic. I, I suspect it's social learning. Those effects aren't significant. There are significant effects, which we'll talk about when it comes to home ownership and kind of the need to nest and yes. what we call ontological security, kind of yes. a place to put down your roots and be, okay. be safe. Well, that comes, Andrew. It makes me think as well. So often people will think, well, maybe I don't want to invest and take out a 140k revolving credit in order to be able to go and buy an investment property because I might want that deposit to do renovations for my house at a year's time, even if they don't necessarily have a set plan to actually do that. But they almost overvalue the option of maybe I want to renovate my house as opposed to going in and investing for their future. So the people who are good at managing money, what do they do differently? Well, there's several perspectives here, right? So I've got to say this, otherwise my social science friends will will disown me. There's absolutely essentially a socioeconomic and a class aspect. Yes. You know, like people that can invest in property can afford to invest in property. There's really good research that shows that scarcity messes with your brains in all sorts of ways. Okay. So people who are struggling, you know, find it much, much harder to have these kind of conversations. Yes. I think a lot of it comes down to education and things like modelling. Like yes. you, you need to see people who successfully invest in property. Yes. You need to understand the fundamentals of property. You know, everything looks easy from the distance of ignorance. Yes, right? yes. And, and until somebody explains to you the benefits of property investing, it might be really, really hard to get involved. And also remember, humans hate losses more than they love gains. And so, you know, you've got to make people understand that that gain that you were talking about, Ed, actually will offset any potential loss. Mm-mm. I mean, one of the fi- things that I find interesting as like a psychologist, of course, is that most people see property investing almost as being risk-free. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which there are absolutely risks and limitations. Like, you know, yeah. it's not liquids. You know, you've got to have a buyer to sell it when you do sell that property. You know, interest rates, legislation changes, yeah. ha ha, all those kind of things. And it's how you mitigate those risks. But definitely, if people have bought a house, often I find that the armchair investor is just someone who has bought a house and it's gone up in value and now they think they're Donald Trump. Yes, got it. So they want to take some equity out of yeah. that and put it yeah. in the property. I, okay. I, I'm yeah. very yeah. good at this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, that's one of the reasons why people don't plan for their retirement, right? If we go back to what I was saying, people don't plan for their retirement. One, because, well, actually, if you think about it, in in New Zealand, it's almost a a perfect storm, isn't it? Like, it's not that you're incentivized for not saving for your retirement. There's a safety net, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. for now. Yeah, which, which, again, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you've got to think about what does that actually do around people's (laughs) behaviour. It'd be interesting, Ed, to actually dig up some stats around this. Countries that have nothing, what the take-up of investment is because people people here do leave it quite late sometimes and you know you might get a 55 year old come into the office and they've done nothing so far you know other than maybe a little bit of kiwi save because that just kind of happened yep. and now they're starting to think holy moly I've used one of those calculators online and that's going to be not nearly enough and then they start to panic yeah but then ask a different question right why aren't we teaching this stuff at primary school yeah yeah you know, like I mean if you think about how do you change behavior you get in early Think about all the health behaviours that are now taught at primary school. Ed and I actually just, in our book that we're doing at the moment, we were talking a little bit about this and I told Eddie could choose to put this in or not put it in. And we might have a number of people message in angrily after this. So I'm, I mean this in the nicest possible way. There's going to be a teacher's strike. Yeah. Look, in my experience working with teachers, typically they're not 
the best with dealing with money. Now, having said that, there are a couple of investors that I work with who are teachers who are excellent with their money, but the majority of the teachers that I've worked with haven't been that great at managing their money, a lot of external debt. Ed said maybe that's because they're not paid enough, which is a very good point. It was just you know something that we, we were chatting about. Well, let me ask you this, Carl. One thing that I've tended to notice is that, and I don't know whether it's just a New Zealand thing or whether it's across the world. So you tell me this. Why don't people go and seek the help of professionals? So for instance, one thing I can't get my head around is if you go and see a financial advisor, you know, and let's talk about shares so people don't think we're talking about ourselves here. But often if you want to go and invest with a Craig's Investment Partners or a Milford, their services are free. You'll pay them fees through their investments, but it's not going to cost you anything to go and talk about saving for your retirement or it's not going to cost you anything to go and get some KiwiSaver advice about which fund to use. But why don't people go out and seek the help of professionals? And I see the same with property accountants or property managers and, you know, lots of different people in the finance industry, mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers are free, but lots of people don't use them. Why don't people seek the help of professionals? So two steps towards an answer for that for you. The first is it's often the people who are most unaware that don't realise how unaware they are. So yeah. it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? The, so or Dunning-Kruger. The Dunning-Kruger effect. Is this just some dumb guy that got named this? No, because it's, he's it's, just two, a... it's two guys, David right. Dunning and somebody else. <laughs> so the, the Dunning-Kruger, right? That's what they call Trump, the Dunning-Kruger president. But, <laughs> but the problem is you know so little about it that you're. it's almost impossible to help you understand how little you know, right? So you're not just ignorant, but you're unaware of your ignorance. Yes. But I think there's a better answer, which is what psychologists know is actually what most people think about all day long is what they call hedonic noise. And hedonic noise is, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) Who's picking up the kids? Will I get a chance to go to the gym? What am I going to do about that freaking creaking door? There's a light bulb blown in the bathroom, right? So you think about that stuff that you think about all day long. Yes. That's called hedonic noise. And the question you've got and every market has got is – How do we actually make space in that hedonic noise for our message above everybody else's message to resonate? And if you think about how many advertisements are trying to get to people every day, right? You know, so people are getting really, really good at not listening to messages. So we need to give away light bulbs with (laughs) our brand on it, Ed. No, but seriously (laughs) though, you know, like it's easy. It's always easy because you guys are in the business to go – we've got this great thing and why are other people not seeing that it's a great thing? Yes, It's not – that they're not capable of seeing it's a great thing. It's that they're so many other things. So many and that's things. actually, someone said this to me the other day, an investor that I'm working with, I don't understand why not everyone's doing it. I'm like, well, at the moment, everyone is trying to do it. But <laughs> but I get what the sentiment of what they're saying because there's times I'm like, we're selling gold here. Yeah. yeah. But you know what it's like, right? So think about it. Do you think there's anybody left in the world that knows that smoking is not good for them? Yeah, that's right? a very good yeah, point. Yeah. Or anybody that you know is eating a bag of chips on the couch watching Netflix thinking this is a healthy choice, but we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, abs- Ed feels targeted now. I mean, I'm glad that I didn't need any oh, tra- absolutely too. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're going to... Oh, you're in lockdown, Ed. And so the terrible yeah. thing is, Carl, every time I see Andrew, and I'm trying to argue with him, he's going to say, Ed, you're mired by the Dunning-Kruger effect right now. You've got- <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know, how- you don't know how... You don't know how unaware yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So I guess the final question for us is, uh, listeners of the show... 
What's some tips that they can take away from this of how they can be better having that money mindset that's going to benefit them? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about some really simple things, talk to yourself as though you're giving advice to somebody you care about. Lauren doesn't let me talk to myself anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But the the voice inside our heads when we're talking to ourselves, often we are our own worst critic. Yes. And if you think about the advice you'd give to somebody you care about, it wouldn't be like that. Writing things down and looking for counterfactuals, always a great idea. What would it take to prove this idea wrong? Love that idea. And the really important one for all important decision making is just because something feels right doesn't mean that it is right. Yes. So that's what we call the distinction between truthiness, feels right, and truthfulness, it is right. And, you know, actually, if you feel yourself rushing towards a decision, maybe that's exactly the moment when you need to stop, Yes. you know, collaborate and listen, right? (laughs) So between you and your wife, when you're making decisions, is it a smooth process for you? Or because you're so analytical, does it make it harder to make a decision some of the time? It makes it harder to make a dumb decision. Yes, yes. But is it harder <laughs> yeah. to make any decision? Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd have to ask her. I think, she, yes. But but I tell you one of the rules we do have when it comes to parenting, which is the same kind of yes. thing, is that only one of us is allowed to go off the reservation at once. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Right, you know, so either be incredibly enthusiastic about something or incredibly mad. Yes. And that probably holds for investing, right? Yes. Like somebody in that relationship's really passionate about, yes. we've got to do this. The and the other person said, I've never heard this podcast. What the hell are you yeah. doing? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Interesting. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about Property with Andrew and I, come along to our next webinar. It's happening on Tuesday, the 14th of December, because we're going to be talking about the predictions we made for this year, 2021, which ones we got right, which ones we got wrong. And also, we're going to set some predictions and forecasts for the year 2022, what's going to happen in property. Now, if you want to come along to that, tap or swipe over the cover art because there's going to be a link in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash webinar and you'll be able to sign up there. For listening to the Property Academy podcast, I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>